the Teachers Care Society, in the podcast that talks about on use and development in the educational field. We have a good show for you today, as I'm joined by Ramesh Johnson, an SD teacher, SDC teacher from Los Angeles, as we'll be discussing managing realistic teacher expectations. We will also be discussing performance-based salaries based on student state scores and the effect that they have on teacher expectations as well. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Welcome back. Our first guest for today is Ramesh Johnson, an SDC MS teacher from Los Angeles, California. So this has been a long time in the making and it's finally good to have you here. You have no idea how many hoops and obstacles I had to jump and go through in order to book you. And uh, all the listeners out there, Ramesh and I teach the same grade level. So we're constantly, constantly collaborating, but just have never had the time to actually sit down and record an episode together. But before we get started, um, how are you doing? How are you handling everything? Um, I'm doing okay, I guess, as best as I can. Um, you know, distance learning throws a lot of curveballs at you that you don't expect and comes with a lot of challenges, but I just try to remember I can't do everything at once and I need to have balance in my life. So pretty good overall, though. Uh, the joke I always say with Ramesh is uh, I need clones of myself because there's just so much stuff to do all the time. <laughs> Definitely. Clone would be great. <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump into our first topic. So managing the crazy expectations of a teacher. All right. Oh boy. So where do you start? So people usually think this only applies to new teachers and the list of requirements they need to do for like their induction and the committees they sign up and observation. The list goes on. But in reality, it's all teachers that are juggling multiple things at once. You know, best image I have like an octopus having eight different uh, tangles doing different things. And it's a lot more difficult during this distance learning. And, and then just imagine people do, trying to do it in person or in hybrid, just everybody's struggling. And it can be easy to bite off more than we can realistically handle. If we were to look at just special education alone, then we have all the data tracking and IEPs that we need to attend. If you look at the bilingual education teachers, like the two-way immersions and dual language teachers, who are going back and forth between two languages while also assessing both of these languages at the same time. Then you have general education teachers who cater to a wide range of students, including students with special needs, English language learners, gifted and talented education, at risk, foster, and every student in between. So you can quickly see how a teacher can get exhausted with all these responsibilities. So this leads us to our topic about realistic and reasonable goals for yourself. So Aramish, right now at this moment, do you feel overwhelmed with all the responsibilities that you have? Um, most definitely. <laughs> there is definitely a lot that comes uh, with being a special education teacher, aside from just the day-to-day teaching part, which, you know, is hard enough in itself and comes with a lot of unexpected things. But then you have the administrative work to juggle the IEPs and all that is involved and keeping them up to date, gathering all your data and, um, you know, making sure your students are making progress progress. Then you also have stuff like you did not expect, like becoming like a family coach and, you know, training parents and giving them counseling and just taking on so many other roles that you never really imagined. 
Um, but it's all part of the job and it's kind of what makes it fun. And then now we have distance learning, which adds a whole other level of complexity and comes with a lot of new changes. Uh, so, I mean, luckily we were, we had, it was kind of a good thing we did it in the spring. So now that we're doing it in the fall, like I knew what to expect more, I suppose. Um, but then there's just a lot that has to do with staying in compliance with state regulations and these expectations are ever changing and it usually comes with yet even more paperwork and more administrative duties, which I don't think people realize when they get into teaching, especially special education is there's a lot of administrative work that comes with this besides just teaching and doing the part that you enjoy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, distance learning, you have to make the lessons virtual and engaging and you don't get a lot of feedback, especially when you're working with the mod severe population. So you don't know like if they're enjoying it or what the parents are thinking. And that's like a whole other level. So, you know, having the parents a lot more involved than they definitely were in the past. Um, but I think it's been good overall because the parents really see how much we care and how hard we work at our jobs. And overall, I think they're very appreciative of us now. If they weren't before, they definitely are now. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole bunch of behind the scenes that people don't know about. And it's really coming into the light now. And parents really do see now, wow, you do a lot of work. And you're right. They do appreciate it now. So what were your first expectations that got shattered for you on your first day of teaching? Well, I walked into it, you know, just thinking that the students would just magically listen and be enthralled by my every word. And they would just think I was so great and they would just sit there so nicely. Um, that is definitely not what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I would have it all together and be so organized. And I just was very overwhelmed by the amount of work and like how stressful it was. And I started off in gen ed before I switched to special ed. And uh, it, they are very different, but they also, you know, are quite similar in other aspects. So I guess I just never realized how much prep work is involved and um, it did make my drive to want to be like even better kick in and, um, you know, but I've definitely been stressed ever since. And I just thought there would be so much more time for things, you know, like my lessons. And then I realized that time flies by during your lessons and things come up and you have to adapt on the fly. And sometimes the students aren't going to get it. And then you have to like come up with another strategy to try and get them to get it. And sometimes you just call it quits altogether and revisit it at a later time if it's just not working. <laughs> so that's definitely me, uh, me thinking that there would be ample instruction time. So, you know, the analogy, uh, you know, I, I always give is, uh, oh, I'm doing fine, but not realizing that um, I'm standing on quicksand. I'm quickly running out of time and I would plan for 40 minute, 45 minute block thinking I had enough material and activities will cover the whole block. But then just quickly realized that there's just so many different factors that I had no control of, like students not paying attention, having to repeat myself because all the interruptions, behavior management, transmission time. So transition time is a big one. Like when I tell them, all right, let's get ready for science or let's get ready for something else. That transition time just so long for some of these students and they really drag it out as long as possible. And so the, the list goes on. And I know, I knew that there would be interruptions, but I just didn't know 
how many interruptions there would be. And Ramesh and I both teach special education, so interruptions are to be expected. But sometimes the thing I did not take into consideration was unexpected adult visits. And that happened to me last year. There was just so many times where adults would just come into the middle of nowhere. Uh, and another time I had just like a panelist of visitors in the back. And I think it was, they were giving a tour of the school. I'm still not sure to this date. And at first it didn't throw me off, but it definitely threw the students off. And that was the first domino to fail. All the students started turning around saying hi, greeting them. And then I lost their complete attention at that time. Have you had similar situations where you had un- unexpected interactions that just threw your lesson plan off? Definitely. It happens all the time. Um, You know, it even could be something as simple as a service provider comes in and we have something that we need to touch base on. And then something else comes up that we end up taking longer than expected to talk. And uh, luckily, I've learned just to be really flexible over the years. And I've definitely had administrators come in with like prospective parents to our program unannounced, which definitely it throws everybody off, including the adults, because we are all sitting there wondering, are they watching us? Are they watching the kids? What are they in here for? And you have no idea. There was no explanation. And then I've had times where, you know, I don't know, should I acknowledge them? Should I not acknowledge them in the room? Should I just ignore them completely? Should I go on about my business? Do they need something from me? (laughs) Um, So it distracts me from my lesson. And then, you know, the kids definitely start turning around and looking and then they're like, oh, hey, somebody new. And sometimes they start acting up. They're like, well, now we got more of an audience. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know if I'm supposed to be available to answer questions. So one time a parent did begin asking questions to me and I just kind of looked at the administrator like, am I allowed to answer these? Did you want me to answer them? Are you answering them? I need some guidance here. So, yeah. Uh there's definitely a lot of unexpected interruptions that happen throughout the day, but we just learned to roll with them and <laughs> take them as they come. Yeah, definitely. So when it comes to expected interruptions, that's great. Cause I can warn the students in advance. Oh, we're going to have visitors mm-hmm. come this day. You know, usually um, tell a little white lie and say that they're not here for me. They're there for them to see that they're there to see them behave. <laughs> and yeah, just with plan interruptions like fire drills and services and assemblies and even extracurricular activities like after school clubs. But there are also other interruptions that I just have no control over. And most of them are weather related schedule changes. All of a sudden it's a rainy day or you know, maybe there's a lockdown or maybe it's a disaster and I'm getting sick. I get sick. My staff gets sick. These morning and midday announcements that come out of nowhere, like, oh, such and such has been rescheduled or such and such has been canceled. And it throws me off. Even my own um, unexpected events that happen, I could not feel well in the morning or just an emergency. So just like Ramesh said, you just got to roll with the punches and learn to be flexible. I had several times where just a Murphy's Law where everything that can go wrong did go wrong. What was, uh, what was your worst day of teaching with interruptions for you? Honestly, I don't know if there's one that really stands out. I mean, as I said, I just kind of learned to roll with things and as they come, be flexible. I mean, there's, of course, been days that there's been a lot of unexpected interruptions or a lot of changes in our schedule. And um, I think I just have put them out of my mind for my own sanity. Because <laughs> if I dwell on them, <laughs> that's when I start losing sleep at night. And that's when I get more stressed. So I just put them out of my mind. <laughs> okay, that's funny. That's uh, I guess that kind of goes back to the 
to the idea, like if you can know your future, would you want to know? So I guess you kind of turn like a blind eye. <laughs> just <laughs> Definitely. So then another expectation that I need to quickly go over was um, that immediately got shattered was that everyone was going to love my lesson plans. And I'm sure we've all been in that situation where we put all the effort and the sweat, blood and tears into making these lesson plans and making them as engaging as possible with awesome hands-on activities, attention getters, great opening interactive guided practice. And then when it's time, when it's time to put this into practice, then everything starts falling apart. Now, where I mentioned now, we both learn to be flexible, but you know, I've, I've planned for lessons to be modified on the spot, whether students are finding the material too easy, I could push it to a higher level concept problems, or I could easily swap out the problems for something more challenging. Even planning if this stuff was, was way too hard and it was going over my kiddo's head, I could you know, modify and scaffold the lesson plans there. But I never plan for when students just have like complete uninterested in my lesson plans. I've never planned for that. And they just completely shun me out. And I do not have a whole nother lesson plan as a backup. So I only have modified ones. So that was my biggest uh this eye opener right in there. So Ramesh, did you ever experience something like this where you poured your heart out on a lesson plan and then just watch it collapse in front of you in slow motion? It happens a lot because uh, our classrooms are very unpredictable and special ed. You never know where your students' emotions are going to be that day and what's going on in their minds, which is usually a lot. And so you never know how they're going to be. There's definitely times that I'm trying to deliver a lesson and I'm trying to talk over them all. And then I just stop and I look at everybody. I'm like, what is going on right now? Okay, well, clearly this is not going to work right now. We will revisit this later. We all need something different right now because this is not, we're not paying, we're not even paying attention. And then we just kind of like scrap it for then and we come back to it. Um, I think a lot of times what happens, um, it happens a lot with like uh, art activities or sensory activities where they just sometimes go completely awry. <laughs> Stuff starts getting everywhere. There's paint, there's rice, there's beans. It's, it gets crazy. Shaving cream. Shaving cream is always really a fun one. As much as I love mm-hmm. shaving cream, I always anticipate that one is actually going to go. Um, it's going to go everywhere at some <laughs> point. Um, so sometimes, you know, things do get more messy than expected and, uh, or a student reacts how you don't think they're going to and you're like oh I did not think this would be a trigger for you but clearly you do not like this activity um so we just learn to laugh it off and have fun with it and again just be flexible and be able to adapt on the fly (laughs) (laughs) yeah the shaving cream is always one of my favorites um I know it's going to be messy but I think the the payoff is always worth it because they're happy, they're really engaged. And one expectation that I did feel I was well prepared for was classroom management, particularly student behavior. So, and I knew that going to the classroom, this was the first thing that I needed to tackle, creating and setting those behavior expectations immediately. In my credential programs, I felt I was pretty well prepared with all these strategies and unvulnerable redirection, proximity control, positive reinforcement, the list goes on. And I've been tested quite a lot with student behavior, but never had a whole class test me all at once. And I've learned which behaviors to ignore at the moment and which ones to address later in private with the students. The minor one, just let it go. Because again, sometimes they might just be having that attention-seeking behavior. Have you ever had a situation where the whole entire class acts up? How did you address that? 
Yes, um, for sure. It is usually a domino effect, like you mentioned earlier. It's one thing happens with one student that requires your attention, then another student starts going off and needs something right at that same time, too. And it kind of just trickles down. And before you know it, it is complete chaos. And sometimes it just helps to verbalize like this is craziness (laughs) to help you manage it all. And laughter always helps too. once you like step back and look and you're like, wow, like sometimes if I tell people about my day, I don't think they would believe me, but it really is crazy. (laughs) Um, So you just have to have a good sense of humor and find the positive things and I mean, you know, sometimes things come out of your mouth about your day that you're just like, I can't believe that this is something that's happening right now. Like there's an, there's a child with no clothes on all of a sudden. How did that happen? (laughs) So, you know, weird things just come up. (laughs) There's been some cases where I, you know, we have like an interactive TV or a projector or I'm like grabbing the materials, the token boards, right? All of a sudden I turn around and I see this kid, his pants are on the phone. I'm like, oh my goodness. (laughs) So I quickly run to try to pull the pants back up. Yeah, lots of, lots of unexpected things. And if we are talking about teacher expectations, then I view it as two different categories. We have expectations that we have on ourselves and expectations that others have on us. So let's start the expectations that we have for ourselves. So setting up realistic expectations, while I do appreciate ambitious goals for ourselves, they also need to be realistic about what I can actually accomplish. If you haven't heard of SMART goals, well, here's a quick introduction. So SMART stands for specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. So you want all these goals to be SMART. And that means that they need to be plausible with giving the time with the time that you have and with the resources. If not, then, you know, get rid of it. You can always change your mind with these smart goals, but don't keep changing them all the time because then you're not really holding yourself accountable. Have you ever noticed that your goals and expect changes have changed over the years of teaching? Yes. Uh, I used to think I had to like have it together all the time. I used to stay late at work and try and have everything done for the next day or, you know, for things I had going on later in the week. And uh, now I've realized that it's important to give myself time to decompress and take time for myself and just try and allow my, like not allow myself to get overwhelmed. Um, And then, you know, I've just kind of learned to walk away when I've had enough and take time before coming back to something that I find is like overwhelming or frustrating or I just kind of lose focus on working on it. Um, So again, being flexible helps. Uh, You know, I've learned a lot over the years of teaching just not to live up to other people's like unrealistic expectations um, and just kind of learn what is reasonable and unreasonable and what's really important in like the grand scheme of things, you know, first and foremost is that, you know, my students have a safe and respectful space to come to each day, you know, they don't they don't care if I have it all together. They probably don't even notice. Like they wouldn't notice if I left one part of the lesson out or, Oh, I didn't have this material, you know, ready right then. They don't know those things. So, you know, um, really I've just learned it's more about building trust and, you know, just having like a good space for my kids to come to every day. And then, you know, everything else just kind of falls in place after that. 
Yeah, I definitely agree that the kiddos won't know if you messed up, <laughs> you know, just quickly, you know, gloss over it. They, they won't know. So I wouldn't stress out too much about that. I mean, you'll know, but again, don't be too harsh on yourself. And I like the part about, like you said, as long as they're, you know, happy and they're in a safe place. So that's, you know, that's the top priority right there. So measuring success is all objective and that means you need to figure out what your criteria is going to be if you can meet your goals. And so having your score system, kind of like a movie critic, do I give myself two thumbs up, four out of five stars, or is this, you know, like the university is a pass or fail. So I'm an overachiever. So I like to have high expectations. Um, I guess my expectations got even higher during this pandemic and you have people that I record lessons and if I don't like it or if I mess up a word or I do a slip up, then I will re-record the whole lesson all over again. And my criteria might be a little bit different from Ramesh or another teacher, um, even if we are you know, teaching the same grade level. But this is just who I am. This is my criteria. Like for yourself, what is your success criteria for you? What do you do? You do a lot of self-reflection. I definitely do do a lot of self-reflection. Uh, usually after each lesson, especially now during distance learning, um, you know, our live lessons, I think about how it went and what could be improved. And I take time to think out loud with my aides and get their feedback too. And um, just really try to think about what went well, what could be changed and, you know, always thinking what could come next. Um, you know, just making these lessons engaging during distance learning, especially is always a struggle. Uh, and it's just really hard to tell how the lesson was received by the students and their families. Um, you know, cause they are there right there with them and hearing everything I'm saying and seeing everything I'm doing. Um, so, I mean, as far as what my success criteria is, kind of hard to say. I guess it really just depends on the situation. Um, I think usually it's just based on how I feel and how my students feel. Uh, hopefully we all walk away with something. We got something <laughs> out of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, yeah. Definitely a lot of self-reflection is what I've been doing. Like, all right, what would I do next time? Or even ask the aides to help me out. Like, you know, what do you think about this? Would this work? Um, yes. So. Yes. I like getting their input for sure. And yeah, we take a lot of time usually afterwards, like, okay, so what did you think about that? Do you think they thought it was okay? You know, like, what can we do next time? Or So it really helps. And I definitely have re-recorded things when I am recording for, you know, different things on lessons during distance learning. I've recorded things up to like four times or even when I'm doing like instructional videos for other teachers, I'm like, ah, I forgot this part. I should probably do that too. So yeah. <laughs> wow. So you're a perfectionist. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So I guess that leads right next to the next topic about the priorities. So this goes hands in hand with the previous one about your expectations. So you need to reset your priorities and see how important this small error might be, whether it's for starting from scratch, whether I need to re-record the whole video. Um, you know, if it's a video that's one minute long, then no big deal for me. I'll just re-record it uh, all over again. But, you know, sometimes if it's a longer video, then I'll definitely think about it and say, nah, it's fine. I'll just put a little note saying that, oh, there's a small error. I really meant to say this. And with my priorities, I, I place things that need to be done immediately first and then tasks that a little bit of wiggle room that can be done later. And this is the way I like it. It's been working out so far. Or sometimes I work on things that are more difficult as the first things I need to do and then the easier tasks towards the end. 
So that way I can work my end my working session on a positive, easy note saying, all right, you know, this I finished with stuff that I'm pretty easy and pretty comfortable with. And I feel good, like that 100% satisfaction because these tasks are easier. What about you? Do you have, how do you categorize your priorities? Are you the type to accept a small error and just move on? Or are you a little bit uh, nitpicky? Uh, I am most definitely a little nitpicky with certain things. Uh, I am a perfectionist at heart. (laughs) So uh, I'm I'm a big like list person. So I always have Mm -hmm. multiple lists, to-do lists. I have a work list, you know, like a work to-do list, a home to-do list and shopping lists at different places. So I love lists. It helps me keep my brain organized and helps me prioritize my tasks. Um, so usually the ones that have some sort of deadline, like an upcoming IEP take priority. And I kind of leave the smaller, less urgent things for later. But, uh, unless I need to feel like a sense of accomplishment (laughs) earlier, like a more like instant gratification type thing, then I do like a small task or a few of them. So I feel like I check something off my list because sometimes I just get very distracted or and I become unmotivated. I'm like, okay, I need to move on to something else because this task is not going to be checked off anytime soon. I don't have, <laughs> I don't have the attention for it right now. Yeah, I definitely agree with the kind of scaffold myself. Let me start off with something easy just so that I feel good. I'm like, all right, now, uh, now I'm in the working mood. I can do these more difficult longer task but when it comes to expectations that others have about us there is one important thing to know and that is clarification to make sure we know what is being asked of us and knowing what the criteria is otherwise we are going to go insane and lose our mind so whether these expectations are by our administrators families co-workers or whatever it may be we all need to be on the same page I need to ask if there's flexibility with these expectations, whether it's with the scoring or whether it's to do the collaboration, just ask away for clarification. That way, you know what is expected of you and you know how to accomplish it. Have you ever had experiences where maybe you overdid something because you misunderstood the directions or the expectations? I'm sure I have. Um, but usually these days I do just like you said, I just ask questions for clarification before I get carried away overthinking things. I definitely sometimes when I'm, you know, given something else to do, my internal dialogue is like a lot more like, what? This is crazy. Like, are they really expecting us to do this? Is this what they mean? And then I'm like, why don't I just stop freaking out and I'll just ask more questions so that I'm not freaking out over something I probably don't need to. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Also with uh, asking questions, it's, it's, Get to ask for feedback, um, knowing, you know, it's, it's the most important part aspect of expectations that others have on to us. So ask how we're doing along the process um, or even at the end, how did that go? What do you think? Uh, so that we can improve next time. So I know you do that a lot, um, having a lot of self-reflection and asking feedback from your aides. And it's all part of the collaboration process. For me, I like asking feedback midway into something. Um, so that way, if I'm doing something wrong, I can fix it before I need to submit or before I commit to the final presentation or the final project. And of course, when you ask for feedback, then that gives that message like, oh, okay, they'll appreciate your eagerness to learn and effort to get things right. Um, if not sure, then just ask. Are you are you the type of person to ask for a lot of feedback? I think so at times, yes. And then sometimes I just don't want to know and I just want to move on. <laughs> 
Yeah, I know. Sometimes it's, uh, <laughs> I don't want too much feedback because it might steer me into a totally different uh, direction. And I just want to stick what I have, stick what I know before you know, everything changes. Okay. I, yeah. So I, I know that the first type of self-evaluation most teachers place upon themselves is mastery of content. So if students master the content and curriculum, then we call this a success, but there's also just so much more to this. And the big debacle that has happened a few years ago was basing teachers' conversation on students' state scores. And right off the top, this is insane. I know a few years back, the New York, uh, New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg decided to have students' state scores would be a deciding factors in teachers being awarded tenure. And so he called upon New York State legislators to require school districts to use data-driven systems to determine the performance of both the teachers and the principal. So the idea behind this initiative is that teachers would, they would keep the high quality teachers in the classrooms on a system that kept teachers based on merit rather than seniority. The biggest criticism of this proposal was that Standardized test scores do not measure, they do not accurately measure what is taught throughout the school year. Um, if teachers and schools were to put so much emphasis on having students get high scores on these assessments, then the students, you know, they weren't really understanding and retaining the information. So think of it kind of like cramming as much information as you can before a test and just only memorizing it just for that test and how to solve the problems and the answers by not understanding the why, the concept behind all this. And it would just create these unhealthy competitive mindset for teachers and have this negative effect on both the teachers and the students, creating these unrealistic expectations. And it was super unhealthy because everybody was trying to compete for these these spots right here. And no teacher could ever come into this field thinking this is a competition, you know, thinking maybe like a, like a first round draft from the NBA or an MLS team where everyone's competing for these small selective spots. You know, people and teachers come into this field because they have a passion for teaching. They don't want to compete for these small spots. And again, we don't want teachers to compete for these limited promotion spots. And what happens when you have competition like this? Well, it just teachers are less likely to collaborate because they will want all the best practices for themselves. So with all this being said, what is your opinion on performance-based uh, programs? I think it is unfair. I mean, you can't control how your students are going to do on a test. You know, I think it would cause a lot of anxiety and probably dishonesty um, among the teachers. I could see teachers giving their students the answers to these tests just so they could keep their job, you know, um, or I could see them just leaving the profession altogether because it all sounds very stressful. You know, teaching itself comes with a lot of demands and stress as it is. Is. And I really think collaboration in teaching is key. I mean, it's how you become a better educator. And for me, it's personally how I stay sane. So not, you know, I could see it, yeah, pushing teachers away from collaboration and, you know, just doing things that we know aren't right as teachers. And yeah, of course, taking the focus off of why we became teachers in the first place. But then what effect do you think performance-based pace uh performance-based pay might have on teacher expectations would it motivate you more or just no uh well i think performance-based pay it might it raises the expectations but i think it would definitely have a negative impact you know it takes the focus off of being a good effective teacher it would only cause teachers to care about only their students test scores on these tests and not whether or not their students are actually comprehending the material 
you know, any good teacher knows that we want our students to be able to carry the material we're teaching to other aspects of life and not just know it for a test and then, you know, forget it right after. That's not the point of going to school and getting an education. And that's not the goal for our students is to just do well on a test. It, you know, it doesn't motivate me more. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I, it, it would probably drive me away. Like I said, you know, like I, I know my worth. I know I'm a good teacher. Like I don't need a test to tell me that, you know, my students see a test to tell me I'm a good teacher, you know, um, administrators can come in, they can observe you, you know, you can get tons of observations. Like I think the administrators, they know whether or not, you know, you have good intentions, you're there for the right reasons. You care about your students, you know, nobody caught into teaching for the money. That is for sure. If we, you know, if we wanted to make money, we would have chosen another profession. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're totally right about the, you know, we just don't want to prepare these students just to pass a test and, and that's it. You know, we want to create these lifelong lessons, these lifelong goals that students take with them once they leave school. And something like this would totally push teachers and students for the wrong reason. But in Denver, Colorado, there are some school districts that might have seen the most successful performance um, based pay program, and it's called ProComp or Professional Compensation. And this was originally held back when it started in 1999 with a pilot program that eventually included 16 schools. And in that pilot year, teachers were paid paid bonuses for meeting certain student performance scores. And it really took off in 2005 with the support of the Denver's Teachers Union and other um, organizations, including the National Broad Foundation. But then over a decade later, it has seen its ups and downs. And if you're wondering where that money was coming from, well, Procom asked its supporters to vote for a $25 million annual tax increase. And the most recent drama that came out of this was back in February of 2019, when more than... Down 600 Denver public school teachers calling out of work on that Monday, and that being the first strike in the district in 25 years. Now, the average total bonus for teachers was around 5,800, and this might sound like a lot, but the devil is in the details because the teacher bonuses typically fluctuated by 2,500 from year to year. And it was just too much stress to teachers to worry about outside factors that they couldn't control. Plus, after a while, the teachers were reached their cap soon. Like, for example, if bonuses were given to teachers at top performing schools with high test scores and score improvement, then that year they could receive up to 2,400 for that year. And then the next year, it will go down to 1,000. And if you want more specific numbers, then a teacher could get a $999 raise for substantial progress in reading and math. And there is a $666 dollar raise in professional development courses and then a $333 raise for meeting two objectives in a year tied to student achievements. So as you can see, the system might be favorable for new teachers who have the opportunity to greatly jump in the pay scale, but not so much for veteran teachers. With pay bonuses like that, do you think, is it enough for teachers to grow all the stress associated with it? Not for me. I mean, I don't need to be paid more to be more stressed. I stress enough on my own. <laughs> so, uh, you know, for me, it's really not worth it in the long run. Yeah. And I know part of the confusion that districts had, they just weren't too clear with what incentives that were being offered. And so some reported incentives were being 
teachers being pr pursuing further education, like their master's degree, or even moving on or staying at a high need area, or even just feeling a hard to serve staff position. So it was just a lot of stress for teachers trying to figure out how much bonuses they were going to get and what requirements they needed to do in order to get these bonuses. And I don't know if you know, or the listeners out there, but Denver is an expensive place to live with the cost of living be about 12% higher than the national average. The medium home price is about 463,000 uh, and the medium rent being about 1,400 and sounds a lot like Los Angeles. Ramesh and I are both from Los Angeles and we know how expensive it is living here. And even just looking at the data from 2001 to 2016, there were some results that show ProComp did help improve student scores and achievement, but it wasn't a huge uh, dent. And it really only helped certain teachers and schools with teacher retention rate with about half as fast when comparing to more effective teachers to less effective teachers. So it made improvement, but Again, like Ramesh and I said, just, it wasn't worth all the stress associated with it. And as we wrap this episode up, is there any advice that you would give to, know, to new teachers or those who are thinking about entering the education field? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, actually, a fun fact was I was born in Denver. And so I still visit uh, my family there as often as possible. Um, but of course, you know, I would like to go more. Um, so yeah, it's definitely comparable to LA. That's for sure. Um, as far as advice to new teachers and entering, you know, the education field, I would just say be prepared for the unexpected and just know that you may have had a really great teacher, you know, preparation program, but nothing can really prepare you for the real thing. Um, there is nothing more exciting and terrifying at the same time as being responsible for a classroom full of other people's children. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like you just, sometimes you just don't know what to do with them. You know, you think it's going to be great. And then, you know, just unexpected things come up. So you just have to be flexible and most of all, just be kind to yourself, you know, know that mistakes are going to happen and just don't be too hard on yourself. Um, there's definitely really hard days and then there's definitely really great days and you just have to celebrate the successes and, um, you know, let the failures go, you know, go and just learn to grow from them. Uh, you know, be an advocate for yourself and your students, you know, don't try and live up to unrealistic expectations put on you and, you know, just always stand up for what you believe is right. Uh, you know, there's a lot that happens in education. So, you know, just always try and keep yourself grounded and, you know, always think about what's right. Uh, thank you so much. Well, this has been another episode of Teachers Care Society. I want to say thank you to our guest, Ramesh Johnson, for being our guest today. And most importantly, you the listeners. See you next time.